0: Awesome. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Well, I'm doing good. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hey, no, I, I am, I'm very good. I'm very excited about this uh, this week. If If you're just joining us, we're working our way through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible or have an app, you can work your way to John chapter 9. I love this passage. I hope that I can preach with the level of excitement that uh, this passage should bring, and so that's my, my prayer in this moment. Uh, if you've just joined us, John is doing something repeatedly every week as we gather, and, and his goal, he states it in John 20, 30, his goal basically summarized is that uh, he would put Jesus on display in, in many different ways, and that we would see him and savor him. And so once again this week, in John chapter 9, He's going to do that for us. So let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, dive into the Word together. Lord, I do pray now that as we uh, come before You, that we would acknowledge that it is a privilege to hear from You, that You would address us through Your Word. I do pray indeed that that would be the case. God, if there's anything in my mind or thoughts or uh, sermon that's not of You, that You'd help me to forget it. and. If there's anything that you would address specifically to individuals and us as a community, that you'd bring that forward. Jesus, I pray that you would do what you do in this scene, that you would give us eyes to see and to savor you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, A few years ago, I had uh, an encounter with someone born blind. Uh, maybe you have a family member or a friend or you've spent some time, but this was the first time I really uh, was able to spend some time with someone born blind. And, and it came out of this uh, desire for me uh, as a pastor, it's very easy to kind of just be in a Christian bubble sometimes and surround myself with Christians, only talk to Christians, kind of like you homeschool parents. And so I, I needed to bust out of the bubble a little bit. We're homeschool parents, so that's a knock on me too. But uh, I needed to bust out of the bubble a little bit and And so one of the best ways I've found to do that is to be an Uber driver. Lift also, but so I I, this this particular. I mean, if you want to talk to people from a different worldview, a different belief system, and and they will actually talk to you, just open your car to strangers, and and they'll do that. And so uh, it it was an it's an amazing experience. I haven't done it for a while, but I want to do it again uh, because of just the way to engage with the world. And and so this particular Friday night, I had done a few uh, trips. It's kind of like crazy taxi, you know, you take people around to wherever they want to go as fast as you can. And, and I got the the ping, the notification, and uh, it was to go to like Broadway and uh, just north of Bellevue. And I'm like, okay. So I pull out there, pull over there, and it's kind of a little bit shady area. And I, I look and the, no one's coming up to the car, because when you get an Uber, it tells you what the car is, what you should be looking for, and and so they usually come right there, and I'm a little bit irritated, and I'm like, text the guy, hey, I'm here, and, and uh, I wait for a little while, and then I get a text back saying, I'm on the curb, I'm, I'm blind, I, I I can't see you, and I'm like, oh, okay. So I get out of my car, and he, it's at that moment I notice I'm in front of a marijuana dispensary. And so um, he's got a giant bag of marijuana, and um, he was born with a condition. He didn't have eyes. He didn't put glass eyes in. He had no eyes. And and he was using his phone uh, with a special app to kind of navigate through his phone, uh, the Uber. And so I... I got him into the car with his bag of weed and... um I was like, this is a new experience for me. And so I'm talking to him a little bit as we're driving. And he says, hey, would you mind going through a, a drive-thru uh, just to get some food? I'm like, well, that's a little out of the ordinary, but sure, I, I can do that for you. I'm like, where do you want to go? He's like, I want to go to Chipotle. And I was like, I don't think they have a drive-thru. And he's like, no, this one does. I'm like, okay, we'll see. And uh, so we pull up, and sure enough, no, no drive-thru at Chipotle. Uh, and I'm like, well, what do I do now? we're here. And he's like, "Um, can you point me in the right direction? I'm like, point you? uh," He's like, actually, can you just go in there with me? I'm like, okay. So get out, um, uh, take him by the arm, lock my car, because it's got a giant bag of weed in the, (laughs) the back. I'm like, this is not right. So I'm walking him through. It's loud. It's busy. It's a Friday night, and they're, uh, they're, they're like trying to communicate with him, and, and I can tell he's not getting it, and so I'm like, they want to know if you want rice and beans, and I'm like walking him through the whole thing, and walk him back to the car, eventually get him in the car, get to his apartment, and he's like, just point me in the right direction. I'm like, well, I've pulled right in front of the steps, so it's just right out your door, and he's like, oh, I can handle it from here, but the whole moment after he left, I was just like, that is what's fascinating, uh, it was enlightening in a sense for me that, that uh, just to see what would it be like to live your life in complete and total darkness, to see that that's just what you, you, you deal with every moment of every day and, and how you need the, the kindness and help of strangers to kind of navigate uh, through life and, and um, how we were also made to see and we were made to see and to process things that we see. But the question is, physically, what's true also spiritually, what if we've said in John's gospel, you were made to see and to savor Jesus, what if your problem is you can't see? What if you were born in complete darkness? In fact, that's the truth of us all spiritually spiritually. Uh, yet it's not quite as evident as it is physically. And so Jesus is going to get face-to-face with a man born blind, and he's going to do something physically in this man's life that he's also going to do spiritually in his life. And in in so doing, we're going to see, once again, the beauty, the majesty, the grace of Jesus at work. So if you have your Bible, we're in John chapter 9. Let me just set the scene if you weren't here last week. Uh, at this moment, the last verse of chapter 8, they, there is a mob trying to murder Jesus. He's just claimed to be God, basically, and that's blasphemy if that's not true, and so they're ready to murder Jesus. Now, Jesus is truly God and truly man. Uh, By by that, I mean he is fully God, meaning he has all of the divine attributes, but don't downplay that he is also truly human. He gets tired. He he has to rest. He gets hungry. All those things that make us humans, Jesus is experiencing in this this moment. Now imagine if an angry mob was outside these doors looking to murder you. What kind of pressure would that be like in your life? How do you handle pressure? I know when I just get a little bit of pressure, my world becomes pretty self consumed. I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible husband because I've got pressure and I'm focused on myself. But again, Jesus isn't like us. So though he was truly human and the pressure is immense in this moment, they are looking to murder him in this moment. That's what makes this scene so profound. John chapter 9, verse 1. It's a long chapter. We're going to work through it. There's six scenes that are going to take place, uh, so I won't read the whole thing. We'll just work through it. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And again, I'm just amazed by this. He's escaping a murderous crowd, and, and as he's escaping, he stops and he sees a man. He sees a man who has suffered his whole life. And in the midst of all of Jesus is going through, he's able to stop and to see a person. This, this blows my mind. It tells me that Jesus sees. Jesus, we've said before, he, he sees where you've been. He sees where you're at. He sees where you're going. Jesus is not too busy for you. He stops, he sees, he sees a man born blind. His disciples notice that he stops and sees. And so they ask a question, verse 2. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So, so, it's a question that they're just trying to process. In their worldview, uh, in, in a general sense, they're right, but we'll see in a specific sense, they're wrong. They just said that because all have sinned and, and because sin came into the world and brokenness was in the world, uh, suffering comes as a result of that. And so they're trying to connect the dots. Was it this man somehow so wicked in the womb that he was born blind? Or was it his parents? Did they do something that made this man born blind? They're, they're Trying to connect the dots. Why would a man 30, 40 years old be born blind and go through this his whole life? And Jesus corrects their theology. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him that the works, plural, of God might be displayed in him. This this blows apart their categories. We know suffering comes as a result of sin, but, but what Jesus is saying here is that even in that God, his goodness is at work. So for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, Romans 8, 28 God works together all things for the good. And what Jesus says, it's not just that, that, that God is at work in this man's life, God is at work in 10,000 ways that, that, they, that, that you can't see, that the works of God might be displayed. He, he goes on, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so, uh, they're trying to ask the question of cause. What, what caused this suffering? And Jesus, you see where he's going. He's saying cause is, is one question you can ask, but it's very surface level. Why did I get this cancer? Why did I, why did I get this sickness? Why am I going through this trouble? Why? Like, you can trace some causes out of that, but Jesus wants us to go past cause to purpose. And when you get down into purpose, some amazing things start to happen. So I think, of, uh, I think of my mother. She died five years ago, five and a half years ago. Is that right, Amy? Yeah. So she died of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a uh, terrible, terrible disease. Um, and when she was diagnosed three years before that, she died at 60 years old. When she was diagnosed, the first questions you ask is cause questions. Well, what caused this? Was it my diet? Was it my exercise? Like trying to make sense of, of what is essentially a death sentence. What was the cause of this? And as the doctors got involved and they said, well, your dad died, my grandfather died of ALS just a few years before that. They said, we we think the cause is genetic. You have the very rare form of genetic ALS. That means Mark. That means Amy. That means our kids. You you have a 50% chance of of getting this awful disease. That's the cause. But if you just stay at the cause, then that just uh, leads to bitterness. And over the next three years of my mom's life, uh, she, as, as her body got weaker and her, as the eyes of her body got dimmer, purpose started coming up out of that. And in those three years, uh, the, the purposes of God were more evident in her life than the previous 57 years combined. And towards the end, as she knew uh, that it was the end, she had a, a conversation with me. She said, you know, Mark if uh, I wouldn't change anything. Now that's crazy to think about. I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change this wheelchair I'm in. I wouldn't change uh, this broken down body. In, in her clearest moments, she knew that there was purpose to the suffering, that God was working things out in her life so that she could see and savor him. And now forever and ever, she's got a, a better, deeper relationship with him in eternity. See, we have to move past cause to purpose. Because here's the reality. There are churches that will tell you that suffering is wrong and you just have to have enough faith. That's from the pit of hell. All of us will suffer. All of us will die. And if you have some clown theology that says your faith isn't strong enough, you are totally going to miss the works of God that Jesus is trying to work out in your life so Jesus is drawing them deeper. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, no one's jaws dropped. Um, you're like, yeah, that's what Jesus does. Either, now, now, there's two things going on here. Either you don't believe the story or you're so familiar with the story that you miss the amazingness of the story. That's part of our problem if you've been a Christian more than a year it, to, to kind of just kind of say, yeah, yeah, that's what Jesus does. No, this is a miracle. It's not an ordinary. It doesn't happen every day. This, this, the passage is going to show us that this is the first time in history that this has ever happened. A man born blind can see again. So we say often, you can't read the Bible like the newspaper. You have to ask God to to help you enter into the story. You have to ask God. You have to use your spirit-empowered imagination. So, So let's do that for a moment. Imagine you were born blind. And all you know is darkness. You've never seen a rainbow. You've never seen the blue sky. You've never seen the sun rise or the sunset. You've never seen the smile of a baby. You don't know what your hands look like. You don't know anything but complete and total darkness. Put yourself in that circumstance. For 20, 30, 40 years, darkness, darkness. And every day they lead you by the hand through the city and they sit you down in the against the wall in the temple and your whole life is to cry out alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And your prayer is that maybe one or two would throw you a couple nickels and the crowds will shuffle by and you'll hear their feet shuffling and, and you know they're going to worship God and then they'll, they'll come out of the worship of, of the God of the universe and they'll pass you by. And every now and again, maybe they'll throw you a scrap of bread. And so you pray, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And every now and again, someone will uh, be a, a rabbi and he'll bring his disciples and they'll ask the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? And you've heard all the answers. You've heard them wax eloquent. And so you don't really pay attention, but you just hope maybe at the end of their conversation, they'll throw you some coin. But usually they don't. So you pray, alms for the poor, alms for the poor hoping to eke out an existence. And then one day, another rabbi comes by and he stops and his disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents? And you think, here we go again. But then the the rabbi says something that you've never heard before and it it makes you uh, listen more intently. He says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed What does that mean? How is the works of God going to be displayed in my blindness? And then you hear him spit. But you've heard people spit before. It's usually followed by the cool wetness on your face as they spit on you and mock you. But this doesn't happen this time. You hear some scratching in the dirt next to you. You don't know what's going on. But then you sense the presence of someone close to your face. And then... Unexplainably, he puts mud in your eyes. What kind of cruelty is this? Who does that? Haven't I suffered enough? But then you hear mercy and compassion in his voice, and he says, get up, go to the pool and wash yourself. And you say, I don't know what's going on. And so, so you get up, and, and you try to make your way to the the. The pool and you 've kind of made a mental map of the city, but you just hope no one 's laying down as you as you walk towards the pool and you 're thinking what was that all about and and you step down into the water and you begin to wash your face and, and just wonder what 's going on and just out of habit, you open your eyes, but this time it 's pain it 's light and you 're like, "What in the world and all of a sudden you realize what 's happened in that moment, and you 're like "'Shut up! (laughs) No way! Are you serious?' I can see, I can see the sky, it's blue. What is that? Those are clouds, they're white. I don't even know what white is. That's amazing. That's the temple of God. That's where they worship God. I've never seen any of this. And you're excited. You're you're, you're just out of your mind excited. You never thought this day would come. You never even knew what it would be like. And so you run back to the temple looking for the guy, but then you realize, I can't look for the guy. I've never seen the guy. I don't even know what he would look like. And so you make your way there and uh you're you're looking around but but those that usually see you just on the side of the wall crying out if they paid attention to you at all now you're running around you're 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 trying to give people high fives and they're looking at you like you're a weirdo but you don't care in that moment because you can see you can see And so the neighbors get involved in scene number two, verse eight. It says, the the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. It made more sense to most of them that he had a doppelganger come in that could see, took his clothes and came in and was like, I can see, guys. That made more sense to them than someone born blind day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade that you've seen every day blind and now can see. I love this guy. This guy is one of my heroes throughout scripture. He uh, kept saying, I am the man. (laughs) So they said to him, How were your eyes open? He said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Sloan and wash. So I went and washed, excuse me, and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. I've never seen him before. Maybe if I hear his voice again, I'll recognize him, but I don't know what he looks like. I just know I can see. And so uh, I want you to see what Jesus is doing in, this, in these scenes. Now Jesus is going to show up in scene one and scene six physically, but he is present throughout. He is going to do Uh, something in progression. So we ask the question, why did Jesus do it like this? Why didn't Jesus just snap his fingers, have the guy open his eyes, and the first thing he sees is the co-creator of the universe, the son of man, the the savior of the world. That would have been a pretty amazing thing to see, first of all, but that's not what he does. He sends him on a journey. He, He starts a progression. And so what Jesus is doing physically in this man's life, he's doing spiritually in the man's life as well. And so there's going to be this progression of understanding, of spiritual sight awakening in this man's life. So the first thing he says the man called Jesus did this. Scene number three they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, the Pharisees, it was their job, again, uh, to, to establish if someone had really been healed or not. Uh, they were the most respected people in the land. They tried as hard as they could to honor God and follow His law. And um, we kind of look down on them, but because they they do what all legalists do, they start off with a good intention, and then they add laws that God hasn't added, and then as they obey those laws, they get self-righteous, and then they make the laws more important than what God has said. And so that's what the Pharisees will do once again in this passage. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud. That's the third time John has been very clear to tell us he made the mud, and we'll see why in a moment. And opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to him, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Now the Pharisees again, they created buffer laws so that you wouldn't uh, violate God's law. And and they said, the law says you are to honor the Sabbath, don't work on the Sabbath. So they came up with 39 subsections to the law. And one of the subsections was, you cannot make bread on the law, on the Sabbath. You don't make bread on the Sabbath. Well, how do you make bread? You mix the ingredients, you let it rise, and then you knead the dough. K-N-E-A-D. And so the word for need in Greek is the same word that John's used now three times. He needed the mud. As Jesus got down, he needed the mud. And so what the Pharisees heard in that moment when they said uh, this man was born blind and now he can see, they said it's Saturday uh, and they heard that someone was needing something. You can't need anything on the Sabbath. You can't do that. So rather than understanding that the Sabbath has provision for grace and mercy, rather than being amazed at the works of God, they said, this man clearly can't be from God. He needed something. Oh, it was mud, but still, that word is the same. And so, verse 16, some of them, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? So there's this debate amongst them. The most educated, masters of divinity, doctors of theology are, are going back and forth saying, How is this possible? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. So he's moved from the man. To the prophet. Now that's true, but that's not the whole truth. There's a progression happening. The next scene is uh, the Jews call in the parents of the man, and I'll just summarize that. They basically say, Is this your son? They said, Yeah, that's my son. Uh, was he born blind? Yeah, that, he was born blind. And, and then they say, How did that happen? But now they're, they're a little bit nervous, and, and they're, they're afraid of, of what they'll say. It says in verse 22 His parents said these things. "'because they feared the Jews. "'For the Jews had already agreed "'that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, "'he was to be put out of the synagogue.'" Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you and me. Like, if you get put out of a church in, in America, you just go down to the church down the, down the road and you start going there. Uh, that's usually the case. But, but here, to be put out of the synagogue was to be cut off from community, cut off from job opportunities, cut off from social interaction, to be cut off from life. It was, it was seen as a death sentence. And so now they're, they're terrified. They're like... We, we don't know. Just, just ask him. That's what they said. He says, therefore, his parents said, ask him. He's of age. And now, I don't think John's purpose is for us to look down on the parents. They've suffered, after all, for many decades as well. They're just terrified. The worst fate to, to befall a first-century Jew is to be put out of the synagogue. And so, for the second time, the next scene, scene five, they bring the man back. Verse 24, so the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, which is great advice, except for their application is terrible. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. That's blasphemy. But I want you to see something here. Those that are the light for Israel, those that are supposedly the ones that see in this passage in the upside-down kingdom are actually the ones that are becoming blind. And the, the, the one that was not able to see is the one that is having his eyes open. And he sees through their questioning. He sees through what they're, they're trying to do in this moment. And he's got such moxie. Why? Because he's been transformed. He's been changed. There's nothing they can do to him or say to him to rock his joy in this moment. He's been touched by Jesus. And, and he's uh, forceful in his uh, uh, kind of throwing it in their face, whatever the word would be there. Uh, so he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. I love that. They have no argument against that. It's like, look, I don't know what your beef is with this guy, but I came to the temple again this morning to beg, and now I can see. And I can see your faces, and I'm not that impressed. And so he's just, <laughs> I'm just thinking what he's thinking. I mean, remember, we're using our imagination. That's not in the text. Um uh, why he's, he's having this interaction. He's like, there's nothing you could do to me, man. There's nothing. I, I, I can see. I couldn't see, but now I can see. And so um, one thing I know, and don't ever downplay the power of your personal testimony. Like if you are a follower of Christ, this is your story. You, you have a story to tell. It may be a dramatic story, it may be a progression story, but but there was a time that, that you were blind and, and now you can see. And, and he is bold about telling his story of God's work in his life. They said to him, What did he do to you? I mean, he's already told them. How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told, told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then I love his moxie. Do you want to become his disciple? <laughs> he knows what he's doing. This, this makes them angry. They're gnashing their teeth. Verse 28, and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We've already seen in John's gospel, if they were truly John, disciples of Moses, John 5 that then they would see Jesus. So they're claiming Moses, but they don't really know Moses. Verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from? And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. So he's not just giving his personal testimony, as powerful as that is. He's giving evidence. He's pointing to theology and nature of God. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he was a man, he was a prophet, and now he's from God. His eyes are opening while their eyes are getting dimmer and dimmer. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin. And you would teach us. You see what they're doing? Like if you've ever been in a a debate with someone or maybe you've been on the other side and someone has a really bad argument and at the end they kind of recognize they have a bad argument. And so what do we do in 2018? You attack the person. Well, you're an idiot. But they've just admitted what's true. You were born in utter sin. You were blind. Okay, maybe but i can see now so take that <laughs> and they cast him out so the fate that the parents were afraid of he got you can't come back you you have no connections to the jewish community you have no 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 job opportunities you, you have nothing but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter. He's been touched by Jesus. He, he was blind, and now he can see. I, I don't think he was all that upset. After all, he's like, you know, I've been here in the temple day after day, and you know what? I don't want to be part of your system anyway. I'm out. So he leaves. The final scene, Jesus comes back. So Jesus has sees, and now we're going to see Jesus seeks, and we'll see Jesus saves Verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, because he sought him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That word believe we've seen is the key word in John's gospel. Do you trust? Do you hope in? Are you all in, If to use a poker analogy, on Jesus? And he says, the Son of Man. That's just a a, a divine term from the book of Daniel of of the one that would come who has eternality. And so don't get hung up on that. Do you trust in God? Do you believe in the Messiah? Verse 36, he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I want to trust in him. Who is he? And at this moment, again, I just imagine Jesus has the biggest Jesus grin ever. He's like, This guy, I'm going to blow this guy's mind. Jesus said to him, you have seen him. (laughs) You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And in that moment... The full healing is complete. What happened physically is now happened spiritually. His eyes are open. You were made to see and savor Jesus. In this moment, he is able to see and savor Jesus. And so what is the natural response? Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The word for worship is proskuneo. It means to get on your face. He sucked dirt in front of Jesus because he knew that Jesus is the one he says he is. And in that moment, Jesus became the most beautiful thing in the universe, the one who had healed him and touched him. And the natural response is worship. Now, if Jesus is just a man, that's blasphemy. But he's come full circle and he sees Jesus is truly man and truly God and he worships him. We all worship something. That's what John has been telling us time and time again. But you will worship what you see as, as worthy to worship. And, and so we have different things that we worship. But, but Jesus doesn't have to coach him up in this moment. He doesn't have to say, uh, this is where we clap our hands. Thank you, Aaron. He doesn't have to say, uh, raise your hand if you're really into it. Or just kind of do a Presbyterian flapper if you're kind of into it. He doesn't have to say any of that because he sees Jesus. He could see Jesus, and so the natural response is, get on your face. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you've never had that experience, you may not have seen Jesus, but there's good news. The invitation of this passage is, you can see Jesus, and with your life, you can get on your face and worship him. He is worthy of that worship. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Kind of a a rhetorical mocking question. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. It's the same thing Jesus has been doing throughout the gospel so far. You are thirsty, you just have to know that You're thirsty, and I'll give you living water. You're hungry? I'm I'm the bread of life. If you know you're hungry, you can come to me. Do you know you're blind? Well, that's a good place to be, because then you can come to me and receive sight. But those that don't think they're thirsty, and those that don't think they're hungry spiritually, and those that don't think they're blind, have no need of me. And so this upside-down kingdom happens. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed the, the, it's this: those that will, will just humble themselves are welcomed into the kingdom of God. And so what do we do with this? Remember that we were created to see and savor Jesus. And that seeing and savoring should lead to belief and should lead to worship. Secondly, well, what I just said, that sight is only received by those that know they need it. And it, to some degree, we all have blind spots. And so all of us, our prayer should be in some, some way, shape, or form. Uh, reveal those things in my life, Lord. I want to see and savor you fully. And that those that have had their eyes opened by Jesus testify about Jesus and worship Jesus boldly. That's what we see in this man's life. That's why I love this man. So remember, as we go out these doors this week, may we be like our Savior May we have eyes to see people, have eyes to see suffering. I mean, how would our our time together, even on Sunday morning, would be transformed if on the way here you prayed, Lord, give me eyes to see. Work through me in the lives of the people that I'll sit next to and talk with. May we be like this man who who has his eyes open and and tell the story of God's grace in our life and trust that God is at work in that. So who are you going to tell your story to this week? Maybe it's a a blind man with a bag of weed on the back of your car. I don't know. But he needs to hear the story. And there's a world out there that needs to hear the story. And you have a story if you've been touched by Jesus. And may we see, savor, and worship Jesus throughout this week. Let's pray and we'll continue. Father, thank you for your word to us. God I thank you for this man. I can't wait to to meet him. The way that you transformed his life and his eyes. Lord, thank you for his boldness. Thank you for his joy in you. Lord, thank you for his model for us. God, we we get worried like his parents do about what people think. But if we've been truly touched by you, you're the only one that we should care about. And so help us, Lord. Father, if there's anyone here that has never seen you but but is opening their eyes now for the first time, God, I pray that they would, by grace through faith, say, I believe and worship you and be transformed in that. Lord, for each of us, as there's blind spots all over our our, our hearts and minds and lives, Lord, would you continue to do that sometimes painful work of revealing who you are so that we can do what we were created to do, to see and savor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.